So, good morning. Uh, welcome, everyone, to the Beach Cafe edition of Strategy Cafe. Uh, really pleased you could join us this morning. I hope each of you out there, whether you're uh, suit or sandals this morning, is having a great summer. This um, Beach Cafe edition is based on the practice of perspective and reflection. So, um, most of us can get close to the business. And even if we're very good at handling stress, uh, a long run uh, without a break can wear that down. So the summer break away from normal triggers hopefully gives our immune system a chance to recover. And once that bit of distance has been achieved, uh, you can see the bigger picture. And today's discussion is conceived as a brief moment in the break, uh, a dynamic conversation I'm currently all facing that should prove forward with insight. Uh, and also a chance to remind you to use your perspective to reflect and sort out your own thoughts for when you're back and busy in September. So in just a moment we'll introduce you to the panellists and have a discussion which is a really exciting development of the cafe. I'm really pleased that we can do this and I'm looking forward to repeating it sort of on a cycle over the next few years. Um, we're going to follow that with a summary of the key themes from uh, our perspective for you and your business but I'm sure you'll have your own insights to take away from today and a reminder to apply the insights personally. And then we're going to wrap up around uh, 9 a.m. Uh, with what's coming next, how you can connect with Alembic for more leadership insight and support. So we are delighted to welcome back an excellent panel of speakers from the cafe from uh, different uh, periods during this year. Dr. Amina Aitsi-Selmi is now a Harley Street-based transformational coach, um, particularly to medical professionals who are looking to expand their careers or improve the impact they're having privately or in the public sector. Uh, Amina's career has included periods with Médecins Sans Frontières and as an advisor on international health matters in the past, including with Chatham House, World Health Organizations, and other august bodies. Chris Highland was co-founder of Four Piece Marketing, and last year he and his business partner joined forces with NetBooster. So Chris is now Chief Commercial Officer for an international business with 150 people in the UK and 1,000 people worldwide. Chris is also co-founder and investor in the Happiness Index, a cultural analytics business, which is recognized uh, as one of the top 50 most disruptive businesses in the UK, which I think means Chris must be pretty happy, uh, but probably other people aren't. Professor uh, David Dunaway, CBE, is a consultant pediatric craniofacial surgeon at Great Ormond Street Hospital uh, and privately as well as being a professor at the Institute of Child Health and a top UK cosmetic surgeon. Together with his partner, neurosurgeon Awais Jelani, David is credited with handling two of the seven successful separations of conjoined twins globally, an incredible series of procedures uh, and an incredibly complex process, so pretty amazing. And Peter Callahan, uh, an associate of Alembic, we're delighted to have him, uh, is non-executive director, executive director of four traditional technology businesses. As, uh, as, uh, as well as having a life of experience in turnaround leadership in international business with an engineering and manufacturing theme. As well as his role as chairman, Peter is now mentoring business leaders and specializes in visual strategy and management methods. Welcome to all of you. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. So, um, Chris, uh, I thought I'd come to you first. Uh, when we were chatting about this, uh, you were just talking um, about um, the digital space. Um, and we all know that there's been a dramatic uh, growth in digital London, digital city, Shoreditch, Cambridge, other places. 
and kind of I think you're, you're kind of at the heart of that. Um, and the bubble is sort of amazing, but also leading to some significant challenges to business. Maybe you can kick us off by just talking about that. Yeah, so um, well, I guess where is the bubble? So we're in, um, we've just moved to Allgate uh, because uh, the current bubble around King's Cross is, is too busy at the moment. So we're on the city fringe now. But no, so I guess my background is um, marketing technology. I mean, the way that the marketplace has changed the last 10 years, but particularly last two to three years, is incredible. And I think we were talking the other day. Um, I guess the biggest challenge for us is how we stay on top of the amount of change that disrupts our business. So you mentioned a minute ago about one of my other businesses had the happiness index being disruptive. That's almost the easy part these days. Um, technologies come out all the time. The biggest challenge is how we stay on top of it and how we structure our company uh, internally to stay on top of it and to advise our clients. And, and part of that is the, the fight for talent, which um, we've talked about in the past, which is a, a real challenge for us at the moment. Um, so you were, t you were telling me that uh, uh, really the, the, the issue is that uh, there, there, isn't enough, um, there isn't enough talent around. There's some great people out there, but there's a huge amount of demand, so that's really the issue. And uh, well, I think, driving salaries? Yeah, so I think, um, I guess now we're part of a bigger company. Um, like you mentioned, it's a thousand globally. You really start to only feel that battle for talent when you're at scale. So when we're smaller, I think it was easier to bring uh, juniors in, graduates in, try and develop them. But now we're working with bigger clients, you know, global clients who expect, expect the global service. There's this constant fight for talent and you know we've had a few positions out there which have been on the market now for six months and the challenge we have is if you bring someone in who you know when, when someone leaves a job in our industry sometimes they can get 20 30k more at one of the big boys just for doing the same job elsewhere so the constant challenge we have is do we bring someone in externally for a higher wage but you know upset the apple cart internally so to speak or do we keep progressing people through um, through the company? And I've mentioned this before, our kind of mission is personal client and agency growth, but we're trying to find that perfect balance between progressing and developing people, and at the right time, add an experience on. But of course, this, the salaries are crazy, crazy, especially when you get the likes of Google's, Facebook's, um, Amazon's, just paying 20, 30, 40% more than what we can, effectively. It's um it's a huge challenge and it must be a challenge to your uh to your business model, especially when you're across quite a variety of um cultures. And Mina, I was really interested in your point about this. I mean you were kind of basically saying the opposite. So I think your experience was about the residual effects of the two thousand and eight crash. Um, yes, so the, specifically in relation to the public sector because of the um austerity measures that were put in place and essentially squeezed the workforce resulting in um, a mismatch between the expectations placed on the workforce and the resources available, which understandably have created a lot of stress. And the challenge to people of um, um, not wanting to stay in that space, uh, what are the alternatives, um, not really easy for them to repurpose themselves to get into, you know, kind of um, attractive market from, a, from an employee's point of view like Chris's. Yes, absolutely. So um, 
people, people who go into the NHS or the public sector are motivated by um, the possibility of making a difference and the satisfaction that comes from um, helping people, um, not uh, necessarily by the um, financial or material rewards. However, now there, there's pressure to, on, on people to think outside the box and what they might be able to do outside the public sector and that's creating real challenges because um, professionals in the knowledge economy, specialist doctors are just not trained to think in business terms. So um, I think it's an interesting, uh, if challenging time. Um, and David, I think you had some comments on this. So you've made progress on this one, haven't you? So you're seeing quite a lot of senior colleagues actually make significant strides into the business world. But like Amina is saying, finding that transition from public sector to private sector really tough. Yes, I think I think it is very tough because, uh, as particularly in the medical profession, you train as a doctor, and in in that training, there is no um, history of having anything to do with uh, business. And so, when you come to the private sector and have to fund everything, it's a really big problem. But I I think now we're beginning to see a change. Um, I like to mean this point about people in the public sector being highly motivated by making a difference. But the system is so constricted now, it's so poorly funded, there's been a shift away from valuing those aspects um, uh, where people are, are rewarded psychologically for contributing to the greater good, that we are seeing people shift to, um, to an independent sector where actually you can recreate those things because you have of control yourself but the real challenge is uh, is finding a way to do that in a uh, survivable way financially and something that public sector employees I guess have very little experience of particularly if they're on service delivery side yeah 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 it's, it's fascinating stuff so quite hard to make that transition Peter I kind of quite keen to bring you in here uh, you, you know you were talking about um, uh, maybe similar-ish effects to Chris's business, um, you know, finding the business models of maybe we can call them more traditional but very high-tech businesses really challenged by the digital revolution. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I work as Nick says. I work in traditional businesses as well as cloud-based and social network businesses, and uh, I see there is the usual intergenerational change going on, but this time that change is being disrupted by the amount of information that's available, both real information and fake information, such that conventional assessments of who to trust are not working. And uh, I think this has resulted in a lot more price pressure as price is the simplest thing to compare different suppliers with. But as we all know, there is a direct link between price and quality and people are learning often the hard way, that low price is not always a good starting point. And hence what I see in the businesses that I work in around the world, uh, we're in a period where people are now building a network of who they can trust. And this is increasingly based on social media uh, to build up a new trusted network uh, that, that's not just relied on the local people that they might have known in the last generation, but people on a worldwide basis that they have people that they can refer to in Russia, in America, in South America, in Australia, in India. It's not just uh, down the road in Allgate or uh, Cambridge. It's a worldwide network of people that 
that people are going to in order to get opinions, to get uh, information, to get uh, user experience in order to build up trust of who they should buy things from. I'm quite intrigued by that, Peter. I mean, coming back to Chris, uh, just maybe both of you, you know, this sort of point about how do you generate um, uh, an upward buddy, I kind of get the feeling, Chris, that you know, that this, you're, you're, met, you're managing your way through this, uh, you're sort of relying on that balance between bringing in expertise and bringing people through, but there's a dynamic market. I'm kind of interested in two points, really. One is it, um, maybe um, is the, uh, the potential limitation on freedom of movement an issue, uh, is the attitude of millennials an issue for you? But my, my main point is, that are, you, are you able to push through those increased input costs to clients, are clients accepting the uplift in, in pricing, or is it squeezing your model? Well, it's actually a great point on millennials, um, and you know, I love social media, and the reason I love social media from a business context is that businesses can't really get away with treating their employees badly anymore. Now, what I mean by that is I'm, sh I'm sure many people have heard of a company called Glassdoor, and Glassdoor is effectively uh, a chip advisor for employees. So if you have a bad experience with your company, you can go on there, rant and rave. So you know, we get many companies uh, coming to us going, how can we manage this uh, more effectively? And of course, the answer usually is, well, well, the answer we like to say is, well, you, you shouldn't treat them badly in the first place. But I think the challenge for us, with us is our average age is 150 people in the UK. Our average age is 24. And with that generation and the younger generation coming through, you know, they demand feedback. So I think what we have, we do a lot of analysis on the different types of people in our business. And I find that people usually from my generation, like 35 plus, we grew up in a slightly different business world where the boss is the boss, and if you get the chance to give feedback, great, but don't give it all guns a-blazing, whereas now that's flipped around completely. So the challenge we have is, you know, how do you listen to your staff, but actually make sure you uh, action it and adapt it? And I think that's probably been our, our best success, that we have just, I mean, who we were used to be as a business for Ps, we used to say to you, we all get you to the top of Google, whereas now it's, do you truly understand your customer? Well, we're going to look at your data across your CRM, your website, um, your social media touch points, and tell you who we believe your customer is. So we are forced to evolve constantly, and of course, that's an ongoing challenge. Just stay, staying with that, I'm kind of, you know, maybe um, bring Peter back into the conversation and just, just focusing on you and Chris for a second. I'm really intrigued, I mean, I get the, totally get the point about the millennials, and I think that's, um, you know, we're, in a way, every bit of the conversation at the moment is, is touching on the core theme, which is the revolution that we are seeing around us, and the next generation coming through are already evidence of that change of mindset, that revolution having had an impact on the next generation, a distinct difference in outlook and attitude and method from, you know, the, you know, the 40 to 60-year-old uh, business people from the... Uh, new entrants up to up to maybe thirty um, coming through, um, but just on that point about um, holding value, uh, Chris, you made a great point when we were chatting about Google starting off being search, and that was where your business started out about trying to reach this wider audience. And now, really, Google transforming themselves into an AI business that makes driverless cars. Um, Peter, yeah. you were talking about uh, traditional tech, you know, which is uh, in a way, you know, maybe like the steam train, but. So how do you how do you both think ahead of the game strategically? 
Well, one business I'm involved with, you can't get much more traditional than making and processing steel. But sure. the, the company I'm involved with is uh, a leading edge supplier of high tech, tech of high technology, and we have 25% of our workforce of 50 people devoted to sales and marketing. And that's where we've moved. That we see there's a huge importance to uh, be close to our customers, and we inter we operate in every continent of the world. From uh, our base in Sydney, Australia, uh, the we have our people constantly on the road interacting with our customers, and we're using the social network to. In, uh, encourage conversations between them, conversations with us, and feedback about how we perform. We pride ourselves on really giving excellent service to our clients, and as a consequence, we can usually get a price premium for our products. Interesting. Interesting. And Chris, what about you? How are you approaching it on the front end? How are you keeping strategically relevant? Um, we have integral partnerships um, with the likes of Microsoft, Google, um, uh, Facebook. I think that there's been an interesting battle through the years between the, you know, the shift over agencies and the big tech companies. I mean, I usually go to Cannes every year, Cannes Lions, where it's um, like a, and a big award ceremony and talks about the future. And they used to be run by the big agencies, the WPPs, the uh, Omnicoms. Whereas now you go there and it's dominated by the Googles, the Facebooks, the Microsofts. So how we do it is we basically understand what their vision is and where they're trying to get to, and we adapt accordingly. Uh, it's, I, you know, we used to have, God, maybe every two or three years, we'd, we, you know, we look at what we are as a business and do we need to adapt. That feels like it's happened every six months at the moment, and only two months ago, we were trying to map out a three-year plan, and our three-year vision is to connect physical and digital journeys. So a lot of our clients uh, are retailers, and they really want to understand that full customer journey from online and offline. Because obviously, customers don't really care if they buy online or offline; they're just, you know, having an experience yeah. with a yeah. with a retailer. Whereas, obviously, we couldn't even look three years ahead. We were, we were just thinking, okay, what can we do in six months, and what can we do in eighteen months? So. I guess the answer is just we're constantly re-evaluating, are we in the right place? It sounds like you're moving into, you know, both both businesses are trying to move into a, a much more innovative mindset um, with a real focus on keeping close to customer, um, hearing that insight and building, you know, building in partnerships to uh, deliver changed product, involved product or evolved experience, maybe is a better way of putting it. I think it's a fascinating debate. I was with a client yesterday experiencing exactly the same problems in um, you know, the sale of basic bathroom equipment. Um, I'd like to bring in um, Amina and uh, David back into this. So we were hearing earlier on about um, sort of changing attitude of millennials that come through uh, into, the, into the team um, and this issue of trust. David, you were saying that actually in your space you can, um, you can still generate value but there is an issue over who to trust from a customer's point of view. Yes, uh, I, absolutely. So I think the information revolution has provided an enormous amount of information, but um, people are inherently distrustful of uh, information that they uh, see through social media, 
and uh, and through the internet. So when people come to see you, because it's our, my business is really about seeing people and providing them with a medical service, people who've come via social media feeds and the internet are inherently suspicious of, uh, about the quality of your expertise, whereas people who come by a more traditional route through personal recommendation uh, or um, through recommendation through a chain of people uh, are inherently more trustful. Um, so that's something that, uh, that, you, that is very important for an expert to build on. Um, I think the other thing uh, about all of the information that we have is that people have a lot of information, but there's a, still a great uh, difficulty in interpreting it. So lots of uh, experts, I think, worry a lot about the fact that uh, you know, for rare medical conditions, for example, the person who comes to see you may know a lot more about that condition than you do. Uh, but um, there's still very much a role for the expert in, in interpreting and guiding and actually, in many ways, it's helpful to have people who have a lot of information to guide decision making. Yeah, and it's just really a question about how do you generate that trust factor. And Mina, you were talking to us about this as well. Um, a big issue for your professional practitioners who are trying to expand their field outside of, um, uh, you know, so let's say the NHS or other public sector bodies. But even in those spaces, I'm guessing they need to think like Peter's businesses and communicate in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, David captured it very well, and um, the ho the whole issue around the democratization of knowledge with um, the rise of the internet and Google, which means that you have expert patients, and there's been a rise of the expert patient and the demise of the all powerful expert, um, and certainly that's uh, affected the, um, the patient doctor relationship, or in my case, in public health, for example, the um, how you are viewed as an expert. Um, I think it's still okay within institutions and within those kind of rarefied worlds of a knowledge economy, but if you step out into the marketplace, then I think um, certainly it, um, knowledge professionals or doctors have a bit of a shock because you go from having work thrown at you, for example, in the NHS, to suddenly having, you know, just being just another person in the marketplace. And it triggers all sorts of issues around uh, visibility and things like imposter syndrome. You know, are, are you a fraud or can you really provide value? Um, and it's um, yeah, challenging emotionally for um, it's a, it's an emotional journey. I think going from somewhere like the NHS and, and into the marketplace, and that's something that certainly in my work I see a lot of and, and try to support people with. I'm Peter, Peter's um, commenting in, and I think you know you'd kind of all agree with this. I, I kind of just um, I want to take the point from Peter, which is uh, which is which I think is spot on. Which you still got to do uh, the basics right, uh, and then need to think about how you re-communicate in the modern world to enhance enhance uh, that appreciation of value. But this kind of really interesting point about I'm going to call them uh, more informed um, team and more informed consumers or patients. Where they're, you know, not necessarily wise, um, and the the issue about um, and, um, and about wisdom here is the, uh, you know, whether we can encourage people still to trust that traditional wisdom, that that experience and knowledge, and I think the challenge that comes through it comes through challenges people with that wisdom to, so part of part of having wisdom means that you have authority. Part of having authority and confidence means that you give your customer confidence. When a customer has confidence, they're willing to 
buy into the solution. They believe in the solution. So you're really not playing around with um, product. You're more playing around with the psychology of um, belief, connection. Um, belief in my own cure is a really important thing. Belief this is the right business solution for us is really important. So that, that undermining of uh, trust in wisdom is a really interesting issue. Just moving the conversation on a little bit, um, David, you were talking about this in connection with innovation. I know you've spent your career in step-by-step-by-step -by -step -by -step innovation, which has been radical and transformative. And I, it's a lovely, lovely sort of pivot point for you between do I protect that knowledge, keep it secret, and monetize it, or do I use this modern, amazing ability to communicate globally to really enhance the value of that knowledge, which is a really ancient debate. I just wonder what your thoughts are on that. Um, I, I think it is a very key thing, and uh, I, I people have very different views about it, but my natural inclination is to share knowledge, and I think uh, if you collaborate, generally it kind of, it's, uh, it's a rising tide raising all boats, and your competitive advantage should come from your expertise, if possible, so how you use that knowledge. Um, an example of that that we have, have developed through our research is um, we've got a statistical model built on 12,000 faces and uh, we basically decided to release that model and make the information available uh, which I think is good for medical science in general but actually it's only enhanced our position because we have the expertise and the understanding of having built it and people are now coming to us and saying well this is a really great model how can we use it um, and it's given us much more impact in that knowledge marketplace. So inherently, I'm a sharer of knowledge and work hard at your expertise. So really, you've got to trust the fact that your expertise is unique, um, and uh, you've got to have an attitude of um, improving that all the time, step by step by step, year by year by year, to get that uh, edge. Yeah, I think absolutely in this world where there's so much knowledge available, and I think it's a you're probably deceiving yourself if you think that you've ever invented anything that's completely unique. There will be somebody somewhere else in the world doing it uh, yeah. along similar lines. And so yeah. you might as well get out there and share it and advertise yourself. I, I've really enjoyed the debate this morning, uh, everybody. Thank you so much. Maybe I can just come back to you for just like a 10-second comment. Has any, any of you got one? final thing to say, or a summary, or a thought, or an insight from what you've heard from the others? Maybe I can come to Amina. Um, sure, I think the, um, the fact, that, that acknowledging that we're information rich and wisdom um, poor um, is important, so focus on wisdom rather than information. Love it. Chris? Where do you start? Um... Ten seconds is always a challenge for me. That's part of the problem. <laughs> I guess the key thing for us is continuously embracing change. Yep. Continually embracing change and shortening that planning window. Um, Peter? Reputation has always been critical and continues to be critical. It's how do we use the social media network to enhance our reputations. That's a really wonderful point, and uh, I love the fact that um, traditional international engineering businesses are really getting to grips with this now. And, um, and Professor Dunaway? Uh, yeah, I think I would like to echo a, a little of what uh, Amina said. We, we live in a world where there is so much knowledge available now, uh, and we should embrace that as being a good thing. 
and uh, we should work on our wisdom. And perhaps for experts, we need to move from an eminence base to an evidence base for our uh, expert our expertise. Yeah. So don't don't trust authority with blindly. Um, be challenged, but um, rise to the challenge and answer the questions and show where you know and where you don't know. I think that's a great great way to end the discussion. Thank you all very much. I'm sure the audience have found that really, really fascinating and inspiring. So folks, I'm just going to wrap up. We've got a great question from Rick Manfield. So if everyone doesn't mind staying around for a few moments, uh, we'll, we'll come to the question in a second. But for everyone who's got to go, I'm just going to wrap the session up. So you may have different uh, take-homes from this, but these are mine. So um, big theme from today's discussion, technology revolution. Listen, so what you're hearing from every sector here, uh, every sector represented here and across all my clients, all our client base, the, the pace is growing and affecting all sectors. And AI and machine learning is a new wave. So, you know, for me, everywhere is disrupted. What are you doing? You know, what are you, what are you doing in your business for you and your sector? That race for talent, the bubble in salaries in digital, you know, how do you find and retain talent in, in, in the modern world? How do you keep your modern business intact? Brilliant final point, which I love, about uh, information and democracy versus wisdom. Just that's my take home. I'm going to think about that all day. So uh, democracy of information are growing, challenging trust and traditional expertise. I think it's a good thing. But how do you generate value for your, uh, for your wisdom in the future? Uh, how do you generate that value? Um, and then innovation is vital. We've heard a lot about innovation today. And every business here trying to keep close to the customer, trying to keep the eyes uh, on, on customer service and experience, using modern methods to communicate, uh, really trying to get to grips with that change in culture and approach that's coming through from the digital revolution in, in our youth. So whether it's you or your career or your business, you can never stand still, but now you need to speed up. So how do you unblock that system in your organization? How do you unblock it? And should you protect your IP or should you take advantage of global collaboration? New models for income are needed, and I completely loved what Amina and David said about that. That's just great. And then finally, just this reference back to the 2008 crash. So we have counter-cyclical effects in the economy. Somewhere there's a salary bubble. Other places there's poverty. So, you know, huge impact on attitudes. It's driven people from public sector into business, but desperate for skills. Um, really driven the technology uptake everywhere, personal and business. Massive change, really, in the business landscape and culture. So how can you take advantage? I hope you like those insights, but my challenge back to you is what is your key insight from today? Uh, what's the one thing that you will take back into, into action? Um, just going to connect you uh, up uh, with other things. So if you like today's webinar, come back to our past events page. We've got quite a lot of amazing stuff up there and you can listen to these four incredible experts um, in their original um, webinars uh, on the site and the recording will be up there shortly uh, from today's session. Uh, the next one uh, is going to be on the 19th of October, Leading in the Law. Uh, you can register for that now. I just need to confirm final bits and pieces on that one, but we hopeful it will be Darren Haywood, who's managing partner of Knockholds LLP on creating strategic alignment and growth in traditional legal practice. So really excited to have Darren back. Um, and um, we're now going into our Leaders Forum season. So um, find, get, get back in touch uh, if you're interested to find out about joining uh, the London Leaders Forum. So the Directors Forum is on the 27th of September, and Professor Dunaway is kindly agreed to give us the keynote, which is around his um, 20 years plus of innovation. 
And then on the 25th of October, I'm delighted to announce the launch of our executive forum. So, so get in touch if you want to find out more about those and would like to experience them and come along. Thank you very much for listening and taking a bit of time out from your day. We hope that the rain goes and the sun shines for you wherever you are, and we hope to see you next time on the Stratton Cafe. Um, for those of you who can stay around for a little bit, I've got a couple of questions. So um, Rick's uh, now saying that we've answered this question, but it was quite interesting. So he's saying, how do you predict that trust and knowledge sharing, um, how do you predict the trust and knowledge sharing is evolving as Generation X, arguably the first to go out with the internet as the sum of age? And preparing to find their own answers in open source before asking for professional help. Generation Z is Rick. Anyone want to come in on that? Sorry, say that again, Nick. So Rick is saying, how do you predict, how do you protect, I think, how do you protect the trust and knowledge sharing evolving as Generation um, Z, uh, first generation coming up through the uh, internet age? Um, the people who prefer to find their own answers, I think we have already answered that, but any, any final comments? I think um, this is yeah, I, I just a quick comment on that. I think we're entering an age where we have to um, renegotiate our relationships in the market and the economy and looking how to move from competition to collaboration. Yeah. Yeah, I think that came through very strongly from uh, from uh, from the comments earlier. Also, I think the other thing that uh, really struck me is, um, um, I mean, so certainly with uh, with uh, our family, our children have been brought up in this age, and they have very different culture and practice to um, me and my wife and our generation. And um, you sort of have to realize that that is the world that they are very comfortable with. And in another generation, everyone who's our age will be uh, them. And so there'll be a new set of innovations coming through from their kids. Um, you've just sort of got to try and, as I've always had to do as a parent, you've, you've always got to try and reconnect with what's happening with them and um, and take it seriously and understand that world, which can be very difficult when you're used to a different way of doing things and that's been your traditional mainstay. Chris, you were talking about Who Moved My Cheese, which is an old book, but I think it's a great book. Love that book. Um, I mean, obviously, we've been through an acquisition Bringing, you know, and a merger in the last year, bringing 70 people together. Um, I actually didn't send it, I was, I was planning on sending it out to people, but I didn't. And then I realized basically five months later that we're constantly going through change. So I sent it to our, our top 25 senior people and just basically just said, look, this has made a big difference, not only in my business life, but personal life around understanding you know, the cheese move, move with the cheese, if that makes any sense to anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the basic metaphor of the book is, um, you know, if you hang around expecting the, there's a two, two mice in a two mice in a in a labyrinth, and they always had cheese, always had something to eat, always had their food. And one day the food's gone, right? So uh, the question is, do you wait for the food to come back, or do you go buy new food? And uh, just a great metaphor, just uh, kind of really well well played. Um, so that's that's really the world of today, isn't it? Um, Angela Vernon Lawson saying network also helps to identify innovation, new concepts, and new talents. It's not limited by age. Many career changes have necessary talents in, but um, but often overlooked. I completely agree with you. I'm, one of the things I'm sort of really sort of sticking in my mind is this. Um, you know the the, the you know the crushing um, austerity on the public sector, 
um, pushing so many people to find new cheese, as it were, and um, really experienced, capable, clever, bright um, people out there who were a new resource for the economy. And um, how do we how do we capture that? How do we capture them and help that? Which is where uh, Amina, you were, and there's a, there's a sort of psychological shock in having to make that change, which people have to accommodate to, but but nevertheless, an amazing opportunity. Rick is saying, what's the name of that book again? So, uh, Who Moved My Cheese, Rick? Amina, are you still with us? Yes, I am. Do you want to comment on that? Um, sorry, which part? Oh, just uh, the, uh, the, the, the difficulty people have in making the transition, but the value of um, people's abilities and capabilities regardless of age. Right. Um, I don't know, for me, um, there's probably you know, different uh, cultures and values amongst different generations, but there is uh, something universal about that, um, getting out of your comfort zone. Um, and the emotional journey that goes with that and educating people around that so they don't panic when they think, oh, I'm lost or I'm not sure what to do next. It, it's okay, it's normal. It's normal to feel that way. Um, you just have to keep finding your next step. Um, I'm not sure if that was the question, if that answered yeah. the question. Uh, kind of, and I think it's a great answer. So thank you, everybody. I know there's a lot of people still online listening. Um, but um, we're going to, unless there's any final questions, we're going to wrap up the session now. And I wish you all a wonderful, wonderful summer, remaining summer, and look forward to seeing you all uh, next time. So uh, thank you very much, and um, uh, hope to see you again soon. And thank you very much to all our wonderful panelists for coming on this morning and sharing their experience. Thank you. Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it.